Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi there and welcome to this really special uh, edition of the Explaining History podcast. In a moment we're going to be hearing from uh, myself in conversation with Andrew Scott, aka Otto English, the uh, writer and journalist with uh, Byline Times, um, who is now the author of a brilliant new book, uh, Fake History. Um, it's really important we have this conversation, I think, because we are in a uh, an era of kind of informational crisis, really. Um, this was abundantly clear with the, the kind of the surge of right wing populism and uh, Donald Trump and the uh, kind of the era of um, mass political uh, lying. Well, one area where we, and this is nothing new, continue to kind of collaborate with um uh, the sometimes politicians sometimes um uh, celebrities and entertainers in our own confusion in our own kind of um 
in, in misleading ourselves is with the, the kind of the, the, the misunderstanding of, of history and the willful kind of embrace of historical myth. And it's not to say that uh, any one of us has a monopoly on true history, but there are, you know, historians don't so much create facts as kind of work with interpretations old and new. And there are certain things which are, are being proven, you know, empirically to be demonstrably untrue. And a great many of those feature in Boris Johnson's book, The Churchill Factor, which is something we will tear a strip off in just a moment. But without further ado, um, I love to, I'm very pleased, very proud to welcome um, Otto to the Explaining History podcast and uh, here in our uh, special feature length uh, episode of, of the show we talk about fake history. Okay so um, I'd like to welcome to the Explaining History podcast or if you're watching this on YouTube, the Explaining History YouTube channel, um, Otto English um, who is a, uh, I writer, correct in saying, a writer and journalist and author of uh, an excellent new book, um, Fake History, um, which we're going to talk about in depth. Um, uh, Otto uh, is a, um, the uh, pen name of um, uh, Andrew Scott, who we, we, we have with us here. Um, so firstly, welcome to the show. It's nice to have you here. Thank you for having me on there. Thank you. Um, okay, so um, one of the reasons I, I wanted to have this conversation um, today is because we are we're at a, a period of time, perhaps as a result of the technology that we have, the internet, and the, the fact that it, we exist in this kind of online wild west, where it, it's perhaps easier to fake history, to create total fantasy narratives um, than, than, it has, than it has ever been. Um, how, do you, how do you think we've, we've reached this moment where so many people are so extraordinarily confused about so much? Just to give you an easy starter question. Yeah, I, I mean, it's you're right. I agree that it's uh, there's a huge amount of fake history about. There's also the means to check it. <laughs> but for the first time in history, pretty much everybody in the Western world, in particular, around the world, has the ability to access the information in in the device in their pocket and to check whether something is true. But, but And it's not just in history, across the board, people don't do that. Um, there was an extraordinary thing last night where a, a Northern Irish lord uh, tweeted angrily about um, the Spanish football team apparently not knowing the lyrics to the Spanish national anthem, clearly unaware that the national anthem has no lyrics. Well, rather than making a fool of himself, he could have checked that as I did myself this morning. And it's the same, it's the same principle with history. Yeah. People go along with the narratives that they've grown up with, that they've been taught, which they've gleaned from somebody in a pub. Um, they tell the stories, they like the stories. And they, they become a sort of alternative history because you, if you repeat something enough, it becomes that alternative history. And I think there's a good example of that in, 
in the um, story of King Canute. Um, you know, that there's the sort of origin myth of King Canute, which is that he was trying to stop the tide and it was, a, it was an act of arrogance. And then there's the sort of clever alternative version, which is, ah, but really he was showing that nobody, not even a king, is more powerful than the ocean. In fact, both of those stories are made up. <laughs> both of those stories are fake history. There's no evidence King Canute ever tried to stop the tide. I remember um, there was uh, a series of conversations with Eric Hobsbawm um, years ago yeah. when I think it was with Melvin Bragg. And Eric Hobsbawm was, had something I think was really fascinating to say on the transmission of stories. And he said, industrialization kind of stopped that because centuries ago across Europe, Asia and Africa, mums and dads would go out and work in the fields and children would be reared by grandparents and grandparents were the repositories of stories. And mm -hmm. the, the kind of modernity um, has shattered that. And he said that part of our ahistorical times, the fact that we have this kind of tiny historical memory um, that other generations appear to not have had, um, mm. that, that this, this in his view and he might be right on you know perhaps this is a question for sociologists or anthropologists that there's been this, this huge disruption in that 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 process doesn't really happen anymore um and we have instead i mean systems of, of formalized education which do a lot i mean um to um help um you know shape this view view of the past i'm not saying that gcse or a level history is like a perfect thing and you have to do an awful lot more to develop critical understandings of, of, of the past but um that's our, our vehicle for the most part in uh, in terms of formal education but the kind of the the the, the pedagogy of, of history now is in, in, in other hands. Um, I, as a history teacher, every year, one of my most dreaded moments, and if any of my year tens are listening to this, I apologize, but you've got to have some hard truths here, is when they come <coughs> into the classroom, the first day of year 10, the first day of the GCSEs, and they say, are we doing Hitler then? <sighs> as, as, if, as if he was the only person to have existed in the 20th century. And, <sighs> and because they've come pre-armed, because they know about him from popular culture. And so the first fortnight is trying to kind of deprogram their Hitlerized brains. In, in, you know, I'm not suggesting they're like the Hitler youth or anything, but suggesting what? this story, this story that you've heard um, is not true and, the, no. the, the, and or, or, or it's beside the point. It's not what no. we can understand here. Anyway, this well, that, that, that the card—that's the cartoon Hitler. Yeah. It is a menace. He's the sort of—he's the sort of Darth Vader uh, or something in uh, sitting in history, yeah. who has been sort of uh, cloaked. You know, to, to continue the Darth Vader metaphor, has been cloaked in, in all of these myths himself. Mm. Um, and you're, you're absolutely—you know—you're. I find the whole continued fascination with Hitler but all enables him many in many ways that the Hitler we believe in is the Hitler Hitler wanted people to believe in yeah. a sort of demagogue 
who, um, you know, who was a brilliant orator and all of these kinds of things. And people repeat it and they repeat it over and over again. Um, uh, you know, if you've ever read Mein Kampf, which I did when writing the book, it's astonishing how, I mean, it's not astonishing. It, it's, it's incredibly dull and very stupid and, in, and, and obviously very, very racist. But what struck me most about Mein Kampf was how dull it was. I mean, on and on he goes. I, I compare it in the book. It's like being accosted by someone at a bus stop who tries to tell you how good they were at art uh, when they were doing their sats or something like that. I mean, it's, it's remarkable. Anyway, sorry, carry on. One of the things um, Ian Kershaw has often said about Hitler in his various, various books on him was one of his the great questions is how this rather mundane man rose mm. to such immense power. And yeah, his, I mean, if he had a talent at all, I think it was spying an opportunity. I mean, that's the, the way that I've, I've come to understand it. Um, but this, this kind of, um, this, this figure on the, the very periphery of German politics before the, the Great Depression, who was written off as this, for most sort of bourgeois Germans, this rather preposterous character um, down in, in, in Bavaria, who they think, oh my, God, not him again, you know. Mm. But when you read about uh, the, the the kind of the the, the pre careers of people like Bolsonaro in Brazil, it's mm. very similar. It's this rather ridiculous character that was on the radio and happens to rather. Or even or even in this country where you get ludicrous people who who, who make ludicrous things up, and they manage to get the country out of a, a, an enormous trade block. But, yeah. but 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 make any of those comparisons. <laughs> Some people come down on you like a ton of bricks. Well, well, this this brings us neatly onto the, my first question. Um, I know uh, in the first chapter in Fake History is focused around the mythology of Winston Churchill, um, and <clears throat> you know, he, I I couldn't estimate how many books have been written about Churchill. Oh. Uh, many of them written by himself, but. But in, in Churchill was the first myth maker of Churchill, you know, um, he was and he got quite conscious, quite consciously did it. Um, but we we reached, I mean, the Nadir, the absolute low point of all Churchill writing. I won't even call it scholarship because it's not. It's Boris Johnson's book, The Churchill Factor. And I can, I mean, any fool can write a book like that, um, but how uh, how have we reached a point where it got published by a serious publisher? Mm. How was that even possible? Because this is my this this is the great question for me. Yeah, well, how did we get to the point where where you know people? I mean, I say this often about people like Boris Johnson and Jacob Rees-Mogg. You know, I mean, I was at a I was at a private boarding school back in the 80s, there were Jacob Rees-Moggs and Boris Johnsons at every corner, you know, these sort of um, hugely self-satisfied people who had learned a few clever bits of uh, quotations here and there from their Latin and Greek lessons and who trusted them out and, and who were sort of imbued with enormous self-confidence and a sense of privilege because of their, because that's what public schools do. Mm. <laughs> they make people feel entitled 
And so the most entitled people within the most entitled school in this country, which is Eton, are going to, to be sort of uber entitled beings. Yes. Uh, and that's what you get with Boris Johnson and Jacob Rees-Mogg. Um, it's largely a veneer of being an academic, well, they're not academics, but a veneer of, in, of, of supreme intelligence. And, um, and it's very convincing. And British people, particularly English people, continue to buy into this stuff. Put somebody with scruffy hair and a posh accent, um, you know, uh, on, on TV, uh, throwing out a few bits of Latin, and, and people are, remain impressed, depressingly. Depressingly, they remain impressed. Whereas, uh, so, so Boris Johnson has, has done this throughout his life. He's bluffed his way along. You know, mm -hmm. the, man, the man barely, I get the impression, barely reads. And, and reading uh, an article in The Guardian about um, his proposal for writing the Shakespeare uh, biography. I don't know if you saw that. I think I did, yes. Yeah, it was very telling how he wrote the Churchill one. Mm -hmm. So according to that source, uh, he got a, um, other people to do the legwork, academics, to write down sort of a sort of sparks notes or a let's notes of, uh, of, of Churchill's life. And then he riffed off it. Mm -hmm. Now, I think that, that therefore sunk within that, that book, there are some truths and some facts. But Johnson has, has taken it and then just riffed off the top of it and has clearly taken um, people out to lunch and been told stories and then dictated them into a dictator how he, he does it. That's how he's done the work. So why did a publisher do that? Well, obviously, the name Boris Johnson on the book sells copies. <laughs> Boris Johnson has positioned himself as a sort of latter-day Winston Churchill, so it's a good fit. It's a commercial prospect, and so you can see people going along with that, and I'm sure they shifted and continue to shift, because I saw it in WH Smith's here in Lewisham the other day, mm -hmm. a lot of copies of that book. Um, but it is shot through with... with bad history, mm. anecdotes, which are easily disprovable, um, and this very obvious determination to draw parallels between himself and Churchill for his own political purposes. And, mm. you know, as we all know, if throughout history, people have used books to, or throughout modern history in particular, have used books to, to further themselves. Trump yeah. did it. The art of the deal, Hitler did it with mind cat. <laughs> well, I mean, to some extent, um, um, what's I mean, what's happened here? I mean, you, in, in a way, to take the sympathetic view of some publishing executive, if somebody said, "Well, this this book will sell, you know, two hundred thousand copies," and you know, your 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 job kind of rely is is kind of on the line to to make sure we shift units. I have a, a sort of a, a grudging sympathy with uh, with that. I mean, what would I do? You know, I'm, I, I don't declare, declare myself to be kind of uh, as, as morally upright in these sorts of situations as anybody else. But in terms of the res almost the responsibilities of a publishing house, those seem to have become 
com completely uh, uh, fallen by the wayside here. The uh, perhaps they've gone down this uh, route, which many uh, a poor sap has gone down in the past of going. Well, I, we'll trust Johnson to do this properly, you know. Mm -hmm. um, for international viewers and listeners, we are currently uh, in 14 days going to have all COVID restrictions um, lifted because we are trusting Boris Johnson to manage public health in Great Britain during a pandemic. Properly. Okay, and I'll let you draw your conclusions about what's going to happen next. Um, the, the, the thing as well, I mean, I've in my many years of working in bookshops, there were books called like, you know, Churchill and the, the Churchill's witty remarks, which are and yeah. probably full of things he didn't say. I have a copy. I have a copy of the exact book you're talking yes. about. It's called The Wit and Wisdom of Winston Churchill. And, and fascinatingly, there is also out there a book called The Wit and Wisdom of Boris Johnson. I don't know if you know that. I, I Written by, by one of his... Oh, God, I'm now going to forget the guy's name. It's it's one of his super fans. I think they might even have been at school together. Um, who, um, who Who's thrown it out, which I've also flicked through. I won't claim I've I've put, dipped my hand in my pocket for that one. No. But, um, so, you know, and there's no wit and wisdom in that. that and, and as to the wit and wisdom of Winston Churchill, you're right. I mean, I have a dictionary of quotations sitting here, an old-fashioned Oxford dictionary of quotations, which I went through whilst writing the book. Uh, and a significant proportion of the quotes and stories attributed to Churchill are, attribu are attributed. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the famous line about Attlee pulling up, an empty taxi pulling out up outside Downing Street and Clement Attlee getting out, uh, or the, um, the one about uh, you're drunk, yes, but in the morning I'll be sober and you'll be, still be ugly, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The, the, the majority of those are old music hall jokes, so that, which, which long predate Winston Churchill and, and which were often attributed to other people, which seems to have been forgotten before Winston Churchill. There's a, I mean, for those people that have enjoyed the book, I imagine some of them might say, oh, but who cares? Who cares that, if it's right or not? And obviously, I mean, this is a bit of a, bit, a, bit of a kind of a daft question, but it, it obviously matters. But why does it matter? Yeah, this is a really good question. <laughs> I was asked the same thing actually on the on the World Service yesterday morning. It matters immensely because if you can't get Winston Churchill, the most significant recent historical figure in this country, right, what hope is there for getting the rest of it right? It's the same with World War Two. World War Two has become akin to a kind of faith in this nation. It's yeah. become like a religion. You know, Remembrance Sunday has turned into Remembrance Christmas, practically. It's become a festival of sorrow and mourning in which we've turned all of the people of, who died in both world wars into sort of, you know, heroes and victims. Um, but if we can't get Churchill right, there's no hope for the rest of it. And um, so it's very, very important to get Churchill right. And countries which properly examine their history do rather well. Uh, and and the, the, the obvious example of that. 
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's Germany. Yes. Germany has a lot of faults and a lot of flaws, like all countries. But modern Germany, 21st century Germany, not necessarily 1960s Germany, but 21st Germany, century Germany, is very well versed in its own history and what went wrong. There's um, a phenomenal essay at the end <clears throat> excuse me, of post-war by Tony Judd, where he writes this, uh, is this essay called um, The House- Houses of the Dead, From the Houses of the Dead. And he's, he says, basically, uh, modern Europe is built on the ashes of the Holocaust. Um, yeah. Each country, with the exception of Germany, each country, to some extent, is in, is in kind of deep Holocaust denial. Um, the, you know, France, the Netherlands, you know, uh, government, where governments, civil servants, police officers all collaborated. And he makes the point, Anne Frank was arrested by Dutch police officers, not by Gestapo. Mm. And he said, Germany, because of the uh, the kind of the catharsis of war, is the only country that has really seriously looked at its past, uh, and the only country that um, is having a seriously honest conversation with itself. And I think, well, I it would be nice to think that you don't have to go through all of that to have a moment of, of clarity. Um, but I, I mean, I have this, this, this deep sense that, I mean, we're in a, a moment of profound national malaise, um, perhaps as a result of Brexit, almost irreversible national decline, I, I would surmise, so other people might disagree. And much of this is built on, on fantasy, and there are public propagators of, of fantasy. I recall a few weeks ago, there was something said by Dominic Sandbrook, who at least three of his books I've really enjoyed and thought were really good, saying that the the the, the story of the little ships at Dunkirk, no. whilst not really being the truth, he said it's a great story though. Shouldn't we just mm. tell stories in history classes? So Dominic Sandbrook hammered my book. He absolutely hated it and wrote a, a blistering review uh, for uh, Unheard or Unhinged, as I like to call it. <laughs> um, uh, I, I mean, I agree with you. I quite enjoyed Dominic Sandbrook's sort of cut and paste uh, 1980s television programs, you know, uh, and things like that. And I thought he made some personal points. You know, he's perfectly entitled to his opinion of my book. But 
returning to the point we were making a few minutes ago, when somebody who has positioned themselves as a serious historian starts saying that the little ship's myth doesn't matter and that it's a good story, you've got to start asking serious questions about how long you can take him seriously as a historian. It's absolute nonsense. You know, uh, that myth uh, and World War II was fundamental to Brexit. It, it was, it, they used all of the symbolism of it. They evoked the war. They evoked the, the, the sacrifices of war as their cause for Brexit. And Dominic Sandbrook seems to have jumped very much on board the Brexit bandwagon um, and doesn't like anybody questioning the myth. It's mm. the H.P. Marshall stuff, isn't it? It's the R. Island story uh, yeah. thing, which when I read for the book, um, you know, building this lengthy narrative of, of this lengthy origin myth all the way back. I mean, H. E. have you ever read H.G. E. Marshall's book? Um, dipped into it in many, many years right. ago. So that, that book was brought back into print by a think tank, Civitas. Uh, uh, I can't remember the year. I think it was 2005, 2006. Mm. And it, in a sort of cultural mission which many people seem to have forgotten civitas got into bed with the daily telegraph and um they got all these people on board including michael gove mm -hmm. who backed this narrative which starts with it's <laughs> ridiculous but i mean the first two or three chapters of our island story are about Alba and about um giants roaming the land and all this kind of stuff i mean it's utter utter fairy tale drivel uh, but the origin story then arcs out into this narrative of, of inevitability of destiny of, of of england and later britain carving its way and learning from its mistakes mm. it's a sort of serious 1066 and all that well it's, um, this was the sort of stuff that in the high victorian era people like macaulay and trevelyan wrote to say how yeah. things work out as well as they have done. Yeah. And uh, but, but you see, Dominic Sandbrook's attitude seems to be a later version of that. It's like um, these stories matter because they've created our national collective ideology and, and our national collective story, and they matter to us. I mean, I think that's uh, dangerous. I, I think it's behind Brexit. And I think it's also um, an insult to people uh, who were in the Second World War, who actually went through it, uh, and who then, for the most part, voted for a better world. They rejected Churchill. They rejected the Conservative Party. They embraced the ideas of the NHS and, you know, uh, state education. Um, uh, they wanted to move away from it. But the generations that followed, including... Uh, mine, the people born in the late 60s and early 70s, of which I assumed Dominic Sandbrook is one, uh, a lot of those people could never let it go. It was like it was like an, a wound that people had to keep scratching. And, and, and um, you know, this sentimentalised war version of, of the past were of Victor Comics and Action Men. Uh, it's, it's childish, really, you know, and it's definitely not history. 
Yeah, I mean, I suppose you know there there is in um, in any other post-colonial um, European country, France, Belgium, the Netherlands, there isn't, to the best of my knowledge, um, a, a version of of this kind of uh, this this kind of um, uh, culture. I mean, you know, there is a a, um, a kind of a, a, a a conservatism in and a, a nostalgia and a far right in all of those countries for sure, well, well. but it it has there isn't a kind of a version of this this sort of uh, national national myth of kind of war sacrifice privation victimhood heroism this 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 kind of cluster of things that you see on Remembrance Sunday, and I suppose it I mean part of that is due to the fact that there were the traumas of of uh, kind of defeat and occupation um part of that is to do with um the the kind of the the, the process of european integration um uh, after the war but i think britain hasn't been able to shed its exceptionalism in the mm. way that other countries have um and um, I, I'm guessing that's that's got to do with perhaps the kind of the unique circumstances of British history in the 20th century. I'm guessing. What do you? Yeah, I mean, well, I think all all countries have exceptional ideas about themselves. You know, all countries put themselves at the centre of the maps. You know, most do. I, 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 certainly, the countries in South. Uh, Southeast Asia that I visited 20, 30 years ago, they, they were all placed themselves firmly in the centre of the map. Uh, I mean, people go, oh, the British do that. Well, everybody does that <laughs> to some extent. Um, and the French certainly have exceptional ideas about their cuisine and their wine mm. and their culture, uh, you know, and, and with, with, with good justification, <laughs> to be honest. But, yeah. but anyway... Oh. <laughs> But you're right, uh, I think, because we won, or consider that we won, and we stood alone, um, we uh, we do believe that we have sort of inherited the world. Uh, and yet, we know we haven't, because uh, post-war Britain had industrial decline, had huge social problems, um, and so maybe we sort of clung on to that prize of winning the war, um, as the other countries leapfrogged over us and yeah. and advanced into European, uh, the EEC initially, uh, and Britain sort of thought, hold on, we won, why are you all doing better than us? And then started hammering at the door, trying to get in from the 1960s, well, late 50s, early 60s onwards. So, um, yeah, so I, I think also, and I think it's another thing which people don't really like to talk about, our propaganda became entertainment. Yeah. In Germany, they put the propaganda away because they had to, they'd lost. You couldn't start having, you know, um, <laughs> the Olympic propaganda movies shown on <clears throat> primetime TV. But <clears throat> in England, uh, in Britain, films like Went the Day Well uh, became staples of afternoon television. Uh, oh, yes. The Michael Powell did too, you know. They were propaganda films funded by the Ministry of Information, but they, they became uh, they became light entertainment uh, and, and continue to be watched. 
Yeah, I, I mean, you, if you look at the war films um, of of the kind of the fifties, sixties, and seventies, there, there's this kind of fascinating blend of um, kind of triumphalism, regret, and pyrrhic victories, and things like yeah. and the Bridge on the River Kwai. Well, there is that that sort of element of was was it all a bit a, a bit of a wasted endeavor, or was this kind of we we sort of a bit a bit like kind of the the elves in Tolkien. We've reached our peak and we're we're retiring now. We're sort of drifting out of things. Um, and there is, I mean, some of them are, you know, the, the Bridge on the River Kwai particularly is a fantastic movie. Um, it is. But um, and the early the early fifties ones. I can't. When was the Bridge on the River Kwai? Bridge on the River Kwai was a fifties one. The fifties. I mean, I, I you know I love cinema and and i love and i'm uh, and i'm fascinated with war films as well the, the 50s ones are fascinating because they do acknowledge the the i mean many of the people in those films presumably would have actually been in the war so yeah. they knew it and they're all very believable that the actually the original dunkirk film which again was made in the 50s which i watched the other day uh, apart from propping up the whole little shipsmith, it's quite a good film and it and and quite realistic in parts. You know, there's a retreating p- platoon with the Germans advancing, and they're in a state of panic and they consider surrendering and all these very un-British things, uh, which I'm sure audiences of the time would have recognised. Mm. Um, so yeah, you're right. That and uh, the wooden horse, the one of the first um, escape movies is very very realistic particularly in its treatment of um resistance uh, because once they escape they sort of fall into the hands of a group of french um resistance people who don't trust them they think they're infiltrating them well that's that soe type stuff mm. is all very true and honest but the further we go on so by the late 60s by the time of um uh, where eagles dare it's turned into something quite different it's a much more sort of action type war yeah. movie and all that nuance has gone and, and the nazis have become sort of prototype star wars stormtroopers haven't they they've, they've yeah. become some faceless yeah well he i mean there is always room for i mean and i i've many a film i've forgiven for a bit of license i mean if you think that the, the king's speech is a wonderful film but that makes this huge huge howling error that winston churchill was initially a supporter of george the six and he he wasn't he was yeah. he, he, he apparently i you can debunk this in, in your, your follow-up <laughs> came into the house of commons roaring drunk and said that they should form the king's party during the abdication mm-hmm. to crisis to support edward the eighth and that you know that that doesn't uh, that doesn't really uh, feature in in the film at all and there will always be in fiction there will always be license you know but here we've we've reached this kind of almost postmodern sort of point where um you have this 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 uh arch kind of charlatan in the guise of of, of Boris Johnson who is quite explicit when he, he in the idea that truth doesn't really matter I mean, and who actually cares um and so we've we've kind of boiled history down to this sort of entertainment product uh, along mm. with like marvel films you know it's uh, 
Uh, it's just another thing you consume for enjoyment. I mean, the Boris mm. Johnson book is the sort of thing you get a um, a slightly conservative leaning aunt or uncle at Christmas time, and they can have a nice glass of port on the sofa and leaf through it and have a chuckle. And that's the point. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but it, perhaps the there is need, you know there needs to be some sort of move towards rebranding it into the light entertainment uh, part of the bookshop because well what, yeah I mean, what i found with the book really interesting actually uh, and um, uh, and hopefully you know other more academically minded people than me will will do more of this um a lot of people, uh, these stories are so well known that the sort of reveal in my book has sort of stunned people. I mean, I've had masses of messages from people going, I, 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 their, their jaw was on the floor. Uh, I mean, you know, particularly the story of Churchill in the First World War going into the trenches. I mean, many of us, I mean, I, I'll be honest, until I researched the book, I didn't know the extent of that lie. You know, he did go into the trenches in the First World War. We've all been brought up with that story of, of how incredibly brave he was. But to the extent where I had the impression that he was just about the only politician who went to the front in the First World War. But he, I think around, well, it was well over a third. I think heading towards half of, of MPs were in uniform mm-hmm. <laughs> and many died. And many were there for the extent of the war. Churchill was just there for a few brief weeks, you know. Um, but people people like those stories. But actually now, I think they know them so well, debunking them kind of fascinates people. Yeah. I think that there is, there is value in it. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's this, uh, not that I'm a, much of a psychologist, but in terms of kind of confirmation bias and narratives we recognise and stories that help the world to make a sort of sense, those mm. generally, um, you know, much more resonate, much more emotionally with, with people um, because, well, human beings we we are we function on stories don't we you know if you look at any aspect of the 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 world around you it's a kind of a narrative that's being told and um a simple a simple one that that sort of makes the world make sense normally like a manichaean light versus dark good versus evil sort of way yeah that's fine um elements of of ambiguity and complexity people shy away from an awful lot um making sweeping generalizations about the whole of humanity there but <laughs> but um but uh, you know the, the 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 role of uh, of of the historian is to really i believe embrace com- complexity and nuance and you know that kind of thing which i believe you have you have successfully done with your book well, I hope so. I mean, I, yes, I, I, I wanted it to be populist as well. Uh, I mean, I thought I didn't want, I mean, I'm not a historian. I, I, I mean, I did history A-level, but that's the extent of it. I, I'm obviously fascinated by history. I, but a lot of what I've written over the years has been um, about the sort of contradiction between what we are told now about the wars, for example, and what I grew up with. I mean, my father fought in the Second World War my grandfather, one of my grandfathers fought in both world wars and my other grandfather fought in the first. Um, 
none of those people and obviously i had uncles and an aunt actually who were all in uniform during the second world war none of those people romanticized it at all you know and my father was at the hard end of things he was in italy in 44 so he he was a um casino a monte casino and all of those places so none of them romanticized it they had funny stories that they would tell things like that but um, and I remember my father was a very conservative man. You know, he was a con- literally a conservative councillor. And my mother worked for Airy Neve, the conservative MP. So my parents were total total Tories. <laughs> they were also both incredibly pro-European. Yeah. Uh, because, as my father would frequently say, I don't want what I had to go through to ever have to happen to you. You know. Uh, that was it. That was the mantra. Um, so those things uh, and the contradictions between that and what we're now told, I think, uh, kind of sparked the book. And, and I wanted to tap into that. And I wanted it to be a popular book. I wanted it to be something pe- people picked up and read who weren't necessarily hugely interested in history because because they're the people that need to be reached. It's yeah. the, the vast majority of people who sort of jog along and trot along, who take a passing interest or who might watch a History Channel documentary, but who, who sort of just take it all at face value. I mean, because people like yourself and hopefully Dominic Sandbrook deep down know, <laughs> know the truth, you know, um, but the, most people don't. No, no. Well, there we must finish. Thank you so much, um, Otto. It's been a real, real pleasure. Um, And um, fake history uh, can be found in all good bookshops. Um, Just a message to the readership. I've encouraged people to uh, endorse a local bookshop, to uh, almost adopt a local bookshop and buy it from there and buy it mail order. I don't know if you have um, a a, a favoured independent bookshop that you buy things from, if so, whether there's one down your high street, uh, people can can pick up a copy from. Yeah, Hive is good good for for tapping into those local bookshops. There are other websites available, but but you can get them, you can get books via local bookshops on on Hive, can't you? Hive, that's right, that's right. Okay, so check it out there. And thank you so much. It's been a real, real pleasure. And uh, we'll finish there. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.